0: welcome to giraffe tango octopus freedom for humans with kirsten johansson kirsten and her guests are here to help you stop struggling with your own self-acceptance and teach you how to love yourself unconditionally now here's kirsten
1: welcome to freedom for humans where we talk about the ways in which we as humans can free ourselves from suffering by practicing unconditional love acceptance and compassion for ourselves i'm kirsten your host um, I'm doing uh, the third installment of our series on menopause. Uh, in the initial one, I did talk about the place of self-acceptance in menopause, which is for me, the absolute foundation that will help you to move through it in a way that is supportive and compassionate. You will need to be supportive and compassionate with yourself. And that's because we don't have a lot of structures or systems to support us when we enter this period of our lives. You will want to try to find somebody um, to support you, help you, whether it's, you know, your, maybe your friends are also going through it. Uh, maybe your mom went through it and is able to talk with you about the symptoms that she had perhaps you have a doctor that that really is interested in ensuring that you have a supportive experience and that you have what you need. Maybe you have a therapist or a coach, whatever it is, you are going to need some support because we all have a somewhat different experience. There's no one experience with menopause and there are a great many symptoms, um, if you will, that we experience when we go through it and some of them come and go, some of them don't ever really go, or maybe they don't go for a long time. It's hard to say, as I've mentioned, I'm, mm, I guess I'm, mm, I guess I'm about 12 years in. Yeah. About 12 years in, and I still have a few things, uh, that crop up. And so I wanted to talk a bit about some of those symptoms today and also about communication with your partner or spouse on whatever it is for you. So uh, before I do that, I want to just mention to you um, an app that I have used that has been so helpful to me. It's called Stellar Sleep. And I've struggled with insomnia since I was a teenager. And it it did become quite a lot worse uh, after I was in menopause which is pretty common for uh, most women to have some sleep disturbances. And it is a cognitive behavioral therapy app. So um, it isn't really like, here's all the things you can take, or here's the supplements, or it's not really about that. It's about kind of restructuring your relationship with sleep and how you feel about it and what you say to yourself when you wake up in the middle of the night, how you manage not being able to go back to sleep, all of those things. Because when we want it to be different, which is completely normal, of course, you want to get good sleep. And you don't want to be awake at three in the morning and not able to go back to sleep, of course, right. But um, applying that to it, I want it to be different. I want it to be different. In the moment that you are experiencing the sleep disturbance can um, take you further away from being able to sleep peacefully or to basically not have your mood destroyed by not getting the sleep that you want and in some cases that you need. And it's supportive and it provides a a whole host of steps and things to, to do and to stick with um, so that you can get better sleep. So I've had a great experience with it. Um, I am collaborating with them. And so if you want a discount on stellar sleep, you can go to stellarsleepcom slash GTO. Um, so GTO giraffe, tango, octopus, GTO. Um, and you can get a 30% discount when you purchase the app. And um, as with anything, um, it does require some daily practices and entering um your sleep and recalibrating your sleep window and um things like that. And I found that with consistent use and following the steps that I really was able to move out of the severe uh, my my uh, insomnity in insomnity. I made up a new word. My insomnia severity index at one point was rated severe. And I moved down to none. I think it was a a three basically, I scored a three. Uh, I think the last time I tested it, which is in the none category. So I really had some uh great great um progress with it and a good experience with it. Okay, so let's talk about um some of the things that happen when we become perimenopausal or menopausal, and um I'm gonna try to weave in how we talk about that with our partner or potentially with other people in our lives because we're not the same. <laughs> you know, that's kind of the bottom line message here. The idea that we can be perimenopausal or menopausal and be the same, act the same, have the same affect, um, have the same level of energy, that our brains are going to work the same is simply not not true it's not true, it's not correct. And having that expectation of yourself um, can make your menopause journey more difficult. And it also, it doesn't appropriately sort of notify and inform other people in your life that you're simply not the same as you were. And that it's, it's a struggle in, so, in some cases that these symptoms are uncomfortable. Um and create can create some struggle. So sleep for sure. Um and I would suggest, um, I guess, you know, I've tried tons of different things and I have supplemented and I've used pharmaceuticals and certain types of antidepressants and anti anxiety drugs. And, you know, listen, do what you need to do. So do what you need to do is is kind of the bottom line in order to be okay. For me, I used those for quite a long time. And it was not easy to remove them from my life. So if you're not somebody who's already on them, but you would like to use them to get through, you know, the most acute part of not sleeping, keep in mind that it can be difficult to um, get off of them. And that also the longer you're on them, the less um, effective they are. So I'm only suggesting that maybe, they be considered as a temporary. Um, in my case, I just kind of kept taking them and taking them because I didn't, I didn't want to face the discomfort of managing my sleep in a different way. Um, so there's lots of things out there, lots of supplements and things to try, and um, you might try a cognitive behavioral approach, which brings in more natural strategies and uh, changes in the way that you think about sleep etc but that in and of itself can affect your ability to perform at work in the same way maybe than um than you did before and it can also affect your relationships because i don't know about you but when i don't get good sleep and particularly when i don't get good sleep and i'm telling myself oh i sleep like crap this is going to be a horrible day. Everything is going to be so difficult. I feel terrible. I might feel not great, but speaking to myself like that and setting myself up, um, to have a bad day is not particularly helpful. I didn't find that helpful at all. Um, so that's kind of my suggestion for sleep there. Um, but also, um, to do what you need to do to, to be okay, uh, right now, right? Cause life is now. So uh in keeping with the sleep, I also had, at a certain point, night sweats <clears throat> that soaked the bed, soaked the bed, soaked the pillow. I would wake up just completely soaked, my hair, everything. And um, that's pretty uncomfortable. <laughs> pretty uncomfortable. <clears throat> and so, you know, there's a couple of things about that. Um, there are some, there are some medications and I've, I did try them and take them. Um, I did find that short-term for me, short-term Prozac use um, helps me if I'm in a, you know, I've been in a depression a couple of times in my life that was pretty, ooh, it felt pretty catastrophic. It was the kind where I couldn't take a shower or um, nothing, you know, I felt no joy about anything. You know, the, when you answer those questions about clinical depression, I sort of um, except for the yes, I have a plan uh, to take myself out. Um, except for that one, I would pretty much answer all of them, yes. And so short term Prozac use for me pulls me out of that. And it did, it did for a while help my night sweats. I took it for about mm, maybe less than a year, um, starting in 2020 when I was really in the depths um, of uh, despair and. And it it did help my uh, night sweats. Now, when I stopped taking it, uh, they, they came right back. They came right back. So I'll just say that about it. That's the thing about um, treating things with medications. Um, sometimes it can help you get through and you go off and maybe the symptom has subsided. For me, it hadn't really subsided. And so that worked for a while. Now I'll say with the Prozac, what I know about that for me from taking it before is that I have sexual side effects from it. Um, and so last week's show, we talked about, um, menopause and, and sex and, uh, libido and, um, the things that we can do to care for our sexual health while we're in menopause. And for me, Having a sexual side effect that makes it hard for me to have an orgasm, which is what ha- happens to me when I take Prozac. I've seen that happen to a partner in my past. So I was familiar with that uh, side effect and that phenomenon is not an acceptable, that's not an acceptable side effect to me that has an impact on my joy. Um, that is not a, for me, it's not a trade-off it, for someone else that might not be a consideration. They may not care so much about that, um, but I care. I care and I cared. And so I had to then take uh, Buspirone to combat that side effect, which is another antidepressant, and anxiety drug that's also sometimes taken for sleep. So there you go. One medication leads to another medication. When I uh, removed the Prozac and the night sweats came roaring back, I started to take Clonidine, um, which at a certain at a certain dosage, um, you kind of start with a really low dose and increase it until the symptoms have either subsided or have been brought down to a, a dull roar, uh, so to speak. And then again, you're on the medication to combat the symptom. And, you know, the hope is that when you get ready to go off, that it uh, subsides, that the night sweats have mostly subsided. So that has happened for me. I don't, I once in a while have them. I find that I have them though, when maybe I have something else going on uh, with my body. And so um, I rarely have those. And I did find the clonidine uh, somewhat difficult to withdraw from, to get off of. It was when I got off all of my different pharmaceuticals, it was the last one and I saved it. You know, you, you never really know how that process is going to go and you wean yourself off of something. Um, but I saved it for last. I think thinking, I don't know. I thought, I I thought, I thought, I thought, I thought that maybe it was maybe the most innocuous and that I would get the more difficult ones out of the way. I didn't find it all that um, easy. I was pretty uncomfortable when I came off of the clonidine. But the good news is that I don't, I don't have night sweats um, so much anymore, so over time, um, for some of us that does subside. Um, and so you can do practical things like, um, changing the, the materials that your bedding is made of. Um, I don't sleep in it. I don't like to sleep in clothing and no matter what I like my body to be free and for it to be able to breathe. And, um, so you might just sleep nude, um, and that might help. And also you don't want to, you know, some things like silk, I don't find to be very helpful in terms of their breathability. Um, The, whatever your bed is made out of, you might find that there is a type of bed um, that allows some airflow to it in some of the newer uh, types of mattresses. Um, There's a variety of things. I tried all sorts of, I tried all sorts of those things and some of them are, are really helpful Um, If you have access to AC um, in your home, turn the temp down. That's one of the things that's suggested for good sleep anyway, is to sleep in a cool, dark room. And so if you're working on your sleep and you're also having night sweats, cool, dark room, um, turn the AC on. And you may, you know, if you're sleeping with a partner, if you're co-sleeping, this can be a time when there's a struggle. Uh, that begins. And perhaps things were okay before and now they're not okay. Perhaps you were good co-sleepers before and you didn't have that much of a struggle with too hot or too cold or covers or no covers. And you might have that now. And so certainly you can, if you have a big enough bed, so that's one other thing, uh, you can increase the size of your bed so that you have some space around you to perhaps use a different type of uh cover than your partner so that you can both be comfortable and you might find as i did that the covers are off the covers are on the covers are off the covers are on that's the nature of it um it's similar to what happens to us when we have a hot flash um you know i just found that i needed to often be able to layer my clothing in a way so that i could take something off and put something back on, and um, you know the idea that I would try to again try to gut it out and like get through the hot flash without taking anything off, huh, that's that's pretty tough. It's pretty tough. Sometimes you you don't have any options. Maybe you're in public. I've been on airplanes and stuff and had just whoo like whoppers of hot flashes and not really been able to do a whole lot about it. And it, you know it can get so um extreme feeling that i would feel kind of nauseated and like i was going to pass out from how hot i was so similar um try to create a a a sleeping environment that allows you to adjust and talk with your partner about what you're experiencing um and how do i say this your partner may struggle to get used to the new you And it might create conflict. And in that, it might make you feel a certain way about yourself. Um, Like, again, you're not good enough. You're not as good as you were before. You're not as attractive. And when I say attractive, I'm not talking about your physicality. Um, I'm just talking about in general, you're not as attractive of a partner. Or now you feel needy. Or now you feel like that woman, you know, that you didn't want to be, or you didn't think you were going to be, or maybe you feel, it makes you feel old and you characterize old or getting older as a, somehow a negative. Um, it's not, it's not, it's a natural part of life for us to age and to go through this process and to move through it. Um, and you're not alone. M- most of us are going through it there are some there are some l- lucky i guess I'll say lucky fortunate women who have very few symptoms um and coast right through but that's not the case for um a great many of us and so you're not alone in your experience and it's gonna be important for you to explain what is happening to you to your partner and explain that you're gonna have certain needs that you didn't have before. That might impact your sleeping arrangement. Now, you can certainly sleep in separate beds. Um, many people do that for a variety of reasons that include this: um, just a mismatched sleep style in terms of temperature or um, the, you know, the softness or firmness of a bed. It can be that one or one of you snores. Um, or one of you uses a CPAP and it's bothersome to the other person. So there's a variety of reasons that people choose to sleep separately. It also, so sometimes that's a, that's a great relief. It's a great relief to people to have their own space, their own room, um, their own separate bed. I prefer when I'm with a partner to be able to co-sleep if at all possible. Um, the, you know, my most recent partner, I have to say, uh, was, you know, he's like the, the most epic snuggler. And, you know, in the middle of the night, I have, I wake up a number of times, usually, usually twice. I have probably on average two wake-ups where I'm really awake. Um not, not for too long. Cause I practice the cognitive behavioral therapy that I mentioned, um, techniques that I mentioned that I learned on stellar sleep. But simply moving over and pressing myself up against him um, can that in and of itself changes my body chemistry, you know, warm human touch, warm skin on warm skin has a way of bringing your stress levels down and just helping you to to go back to sleep. But also there is just a nurturing, uh, loving connection that comes from that, that is not sexual. So, you know, as we're in menopause, our sexual lives are, are often kind of made wonky. Uh, and so, you know, you might be going through the challenges of your sexuality. And so you don't want to, you know, you don't want that to be a signal that you want to have sex when you don't. Um, I've, I've talked to a few women now who I thought this was, I thought this was kind of an an experience that I was having that other women were not having. And then of course I talk about things and then there's almost always other women that go, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yes. That's me too. Um, with the, the long-term partner that I had, I just could hardly ever do that because there would be an erect penis (laughs) that would happen that would sort of, uh, demand to be, um, remedied. And that's not at all what I wanted. I just wanted closeness and, I wanted a snuggle and I I didn't want to, you know, for this accountability to be placed on me that just because he was aroused, I was supposed to do something about it. I found it really um, dehumanizing and it kind of robbed me of a level of intimacy that I really needed. And I missed from kind of the life that we had had before and, um, you know, having that now with a different partner, it's so healing and wonderful. So um, I say all that to say, if you do choose a separate sleeping arrangement um, and you are grieving or missing the things that you had when you were sleeping together, you can still have those things. You just need to fit them in with some intention. Um, So for instance, maybe uh, makes me think of Downton Abbey. Um, when, um, I'm going to forget everyone's name, but when the main man of the house would come in and, and visit, um, the main lady of the house, um, and then he would go back to his room, you know, there was a way of them having closeness and intimacy and also sleeping separately. So, you know, there's, um, really endless options, uh, for you to try there and they don't have to work for anybody, but you, and your partner. So don't, uh, you know, don't worry about um, how it looks or sounds to anybody else. Or, you know, if you get judgment or criticism or you get the side eye about whatever your particular arrangement is, don't worry about that. Um, Just let them, let those people take care of their, their own stuff and you take care of your stuff. And, you know, basic practical consideration when you are waking up as I was in a pool of sweat, soaked all the way through to the mat- mattress, that those kinds of night sweats is hydration. <clears throat> and, you know, I found ultimately that just some very basic daily health practices will really give you a foundation for most, most any challenge. They're going to make most any challenge um, a little bit easier to face and menopause is no exception. So hydration, primarily with water, I would suggest is incredibly important. And so if you're waking up after having night sweats, you're most likely dehydrated. And so your regular water intake that you might, um, that might normally be fine for you, you might have to fully rehydrate yourself and then maintain that hydration, which, um, it happens. I, I just have a tendency to get dehydrated. And I find that sometimes that can take a couple of days because I really do need to focus on it. And, um, I do want to mention this. One of the things that I gave up that I used to struggle with, uh, from kind of an addictive standpoint was diet soda. Um, I drank diet soda, um, mm, Gosh, m- most most of my life, and then when I got into recovery, food recovery, um, it was allowed. I mean, that was a a totally fine thing to include in between meals. So the food plan that I was on for almost seventeen years um, was three weighed and measured meals a day, and in between it was coffee, tea, uh, water, of course, uh, diet soda and sugar-free gum was also allowed. Now I will just say diet soda and sugar-free gum were not my friends. And that is because of the artificial sweeteners, um, that make them sweet or that create the, the, they use some chemicals to create those sugar-free gum tastes. And, um, there's a variety of chemicals in diet soda for me, aspartame, um, the sweetener that is used in most of the kind of straightforward diet sodas that don't, that aren't specifically called out for being, di- you know, different. Diet Coke, Diet Pepsi, Pepsi Max, that, all those kinds of things. They, um, they cause lethargy and excess. They, it's a list of symptoms, but they cause lethargy. Uh, so you feel, you feel like you're dragging and they cause excessive thirst. So for me, I always wanted to, oh I gotta, oh, I need a diet soda, I need a diet coke or diet Pepsi, I need a well, of course I needed it because the aspartame, the sweetener that's used in it, um, created a kind of a dependency. And so I was always in withdrawal from it. It's a sneaky way of it's a sneaky way of compelling you to buy more diet soda because if you feel like low, like lethargic and dragging. It makes you feel better because you're in withdrawal from the aspartame, and also there's caffeine, so you feel lifted by it, like it's a remedy. But it it is causing the lethargy to begin with, and um, and also it causes excessive thirst. So no matter how much you drink, you're always thirsty for it. So it's very sneaky, and it's not great for hydration. So you're really loading up your cells with all of those artificial ingredients, some of which are kind of toxic and poisonous. And I saw that there was something about aspartame that came out recently and I was feeling really grateful. I'd have to look at my Nomo app to see how long I've been um, abstinent from both sugar-free gum and aspartame, but it's in the six years, six years, maybe. I think it's in like the six something year range. And, um, Whew boy, do I feel better <laughs> after being off and on those things uh, for many years? And um, they certainly didn't help my ha- my health, um, and did not help me um, when I was in uh, menopause. Okay, we're going to take a short break. You're listening to Freedom for Humans, and we will be right back. <music>
0: Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Are you tired of overeating, overspending, drinking too much, or being in relationships that drain you? Do you have invasive thoughts that make you feel bad about yourself and your life? Do you keep pushing yourself to the next goal only to find that it doesn't bring you happiness? You don't have to live this way. You can live a life of well deserved freedom and happiness. Coach Kirsten Johansson is here to guide you. Book your free discovery session today at GiraffeTangoOctopus.com.
1: Today, our 40s sit firmly in midlife. We are starting to feel our place and have many productive years ahead. But now is the best time to plan for our future life. Listen for 45 Forward with host Ron Roel. From retirement to health and technology to caring for our parents, no topic is off the table. We don't have a roadmap to our actual future, but we can start to plan more effectively. Tune into 45 Forward, Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, Noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: You're listening to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans. Have your own story or have questions for Kirsten or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back to Freedom for Humans. This is Kirsten, your host. And um, we're talking about uh, some of the symptoms of menopause today and how you might um, speak both to yourself about them and also um, how you might speak to your partner if they are impacting your relationship or any of the relationships in your life. So I thought for the last segment, we could talk about um, anxiety, um, irritability, mood, Uh, that tends to be really commonly impacted and uh, changes in your body, your body size, your body shape um which also is really common and tends to bring with it um a range of emotions uh so i had uh so you know i've been someone who has had anxiety uh for m- much of my life and when i entered menopause after the medical treatment i was already on anxiety medications. And this anxiety that came with the change in my hormones was different. This was very physical. It just felt, it felt like I was gripped with it and that it didn't have really much at all to do with, you know, negative thinking, fearful thinking, um, You know, needing to be perfect, the things that were driving my anxiety before and we're still there at this time, but this was a whole new level. And so, you know, I remember, I remember logging in. I've been, I've been a work from home, uh, remote worker since 2008. And so I remember logging in to work that day and sitting at my little desk and just, I mean, I just remember feeling like it was in my cells, this, this gripping anxiety, um, that it caused my body. I couldn't relax my body. Um, I, you know, I had, um, you know, kind of, um, invasive negative thoughts. Um, often people will re- report brain fog as well. And so if you're anxious and you're irritable and you're not sleeping and you're not able to calm yourself in the way that you might have otherwise been able to, um, it, it's going to impact so many things. It's going to impact the way that you feel about yourself, how secure you feel, your ability to trust yourself and your interactions and your relationships and if you're in a partnership or a marriage, and this is this is very different for you, your partner's probably going to notice, and there could potentially be um, conflict that you have not had before. I was speaking with a, a client the other day, and she she takes a siesta most days, and I'm really interested in that. I haven't. I haven't ever been able to cultivate a a siesta practice yet. Um, I am interested in it though, because an afternoon nap just sounds like, I mean, oh my gosh, it sounds so wonderful and refreshing. I've just never been much of a, of a, of a napper. Uh, So we'll see. Um, I think I would, if I was going to do that, I would need to practice it. Like most things I would need to, you know, lay down at a particular time of day and, do some deep breathing, et cetera, and do that potentially for some number of days in a row until I was able to take a nap or a siesta um, or not. Maybe I would be shown that that's not for me. Uh, So anyway, the point of that is she had missed her siesta and her partner uh, had, you know, they had an interaction of some, some type and her, her, her husband said, "Uh, did you, did you miss your nap today? <laughs> and indeed she had. And so it just made me think that it it's a good way to normalize what's going on with you by talking with your partner about what you're experiencing and why you're experiencing it. Because for me, when the menopause started and all these symptoms started, it just felt like I had sort of lost control of my body and my brain and Um, it's upsetting and disquieting and it's important to be able to say to your partner, to the people who are closest to you, who are important to you, with whom you interact routinely. And I would also say the people you work with, I don't know the culture of your, your job, um, the culture of the organization you work for, whether that's even a possibility, you know, I am realistic sort of. Um, I like to push for things that would be best for us, even though uh, sometimes the the culture that we live in, the culture of our our friendships or our familial relationships or our work relationships aren't maybe receptive to what would be best for us. But I, I like to suggest it anyway, um, is to just say, well, I'm in menopause and I'm experiencing this, this, this and this, and it's making it more difficult. So let's just use your let's use your partner. It's making it more difficult for me to express what I need without sounding angry or without wanting to rip your head off your body. And I don't know why I want to rip your head off your body, but I do <laughs> or whatever. I mean, it, it causes a particular kind of reactivity in us when all of these things are swirling around. And sometimes it really feels like we're just not in full control. Uh, and that is bothersome, is bothersome. Now, these things I have found will work themselves through. But when you're in them, it feels like, oh my God, I need to do something right away to get rid of what I am, what I am going through. And there are things to be done. So <laughs> I did, I took medication. I did all of those things. And um, yes, they did help. Um, temporarily. And they got me through the worst of those symptoms. I do recall though, there were some lifestyle things um, that I found potentially maybe more helpful in a way. And so during that time, I started to go to, it was a yoga immersion class and it was super early in the morning and it was a long drive and there were reasons why I only did it for a certain period of time. I really wanted to build my practice and just make it a really core part of my movement practice which it now is. And so I learned a lot. I learned a lot. It was the type of yoga that I enjoy. I enjoyed the instructor. Um I didn't really enjoy the wake, you know, the the time that I had to wake up and the length of the drive and all that stuff. But I did find that on the days that I, that I went to that immersion class, um, I felt much calmer um, and my brain uh, felt more focused. Um, I also reduced my caffeine intake. um, And that helped a lot because even though I enjoy coffee and I enjoy the, the pick me up in the morning um, it also can increase anxiety Um, And then also all, you know, really all the things, right, all the things that we talk about in terms of some kind of meditative practice and some kind of breathing practice, particularly breathing deep into your belly can calm calm you and you can do those things whenever you need them, whenever you can step away from your work um, and do them. And so you can do five, 10, 15 minutes of yoga or a five minute uh, breathing meditation or reduce your um, caffeine intake. Those are things that don't require medication. And there is, again, I'm just going to mention acceptance again, because there is a piece of this that is accepting what is happening to you and accepting that It's a normal thing to be happening and understanding what it is and being kind and compassionate to yourself and expressing what you're experiencing and why, why it's happening. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. This is a natural process that we go through. Um, And because the culture of your relationships as you change, the culture of your relationships will change, and when that happens, I've I've found this over and over again in the last several years. As I, you know, what I am today is unlikely to be what I am in three weeks. I just feel like I'm kind of always uh, shifting and um, going somewhere new, uh, internally, externally, and you know, the people in our lives, sometimes they don't really like that. They want us to be what what we were before and they want some predictability. And, um, you know, menopause is really not a time for that. It's not a time to say, yeah, I'm going to show up exactly the same every day. And you're going to be able to anticipate what I'm going to say and how I'm going to say it and how I'm going to react. That's not that time. And so it doesn't mean that you you know want to be abusive to your partner or be mean or unkind, like those things are really poisonous to you as well as harmful to your relationships. But it is important to be clear that you're simply not the same, nor are you going to be the same. And that even when you come out the other end and many of these acute symptoms begin to uh, dissipate, there is a difference. <laughs> uh There is a, dis- a difference, um, that book, The Wisdom of Menopause, you know, you are freed, you are freed from certain beliefs about yourself, from certain beliefs about what you should be or have to be or need to be certain beliefs about having to say the right thing or do the right thing or um for other people or be pleasing or, you know, those things do start to uh dissipate. And it's, incredibly freeing. So I just also want to say, cause we're talking about all the kind of the hard parts here. Um, there's some great stuff. There's some great stuff on the other side. And so don't overreact. Um, we have a tendency when we have discomfort to overreact and try to fix it. And sometimes just becoming comfortable and tolerant of the discomfort and making some lifestyle changes that are uh, caring and compassionate and supportive of our bodies and our minds and our spirits and our health and communicating clearly with the people that are important to us, that can make a huge difference. Okay. Yes, we are going to talk about bodies and weight. Um, I'll do that here um, in our, our kind of final um, 10 minutes or so. Um, I carried, let's see, I carried... Um, an additional 10 to um, maybe 10 to 15 pounds, I would say on my body during that time. And as I've mentioned, I was on a weight weight and measured food plan. Um, And that food plan did not have any grain or sugar in it. And I still don't eat grain or sugar. And I eat very low lactose. Um, and so that was, you know, I had the benefit of it was almost a little bit of a scientific experiment because my food did not change. My eating behavior did not change uh, when I entered menopause. So the weight that came onto my body uh, was specifically a result of the hormonal changes that I was going through. And so again, It really can make you feel out of control and very frustrated. And I did many of the things that I would suggest you not do. I counted calories. I entered my food into an app and I knew how many calories were in everything. I tried to figure out, well, how can I adjust this or eliminate that? How can I get into a calorie deficit so that I can get rid of this this 10 pounds, because the way that I spoke to myself about that 10 pounds and where it was sitting, um, you know, on my hips and i um, kind of in my lower, my lower body, which is, you know, typically where, um, when my body increases in size, um, initially that's kind of where it goes because uh, that's just my shape. <clears throat> and so, you know, I just was fit to be tied, uh, to use kind of a <laughs> kind of an old expression. I was so frustrated and I felt really, really bad about myself. Now, none of that is helpful. None of that is helpful. I projected that onto my partner, and I was convinced that he found me less attractive, that he was gonna find me less valuable, that I wasn't as pretty to him that, you know, I wasn't going to be, um, you know, cause my, in my marriage, when I gained weight, I was told you're not the woman I married. You're, you're um, fat and you're unattractive and you're not the woman I married. And the love was removed from me, um, uh, when I gained weight. And so I carried that trauma into my relationship and I couldn't do anything about this weight. I couldn't do anything about it. Um, and so, You know, none of the things that I tried were helpful. What would have been helpful would have been for me to understand and acknowledge with some compassion that I was in menopause and that it's normal to carry some additional weight on your body when you enter menopause, when you're going through menopause, you know, it might stay and it might not. Um, it didn't stay for me. Um, eventually, um, it came off. And it it didn't really come off because I did anything all that different. Um, my food was the same for many, many years. My movement practices were up and down. I would say they were the most consistent in the last um, probably, oh, gosh, Six years, I want to say they've been most consistent during the last six years. And those things are all helpful to have a, a consistent, uh, healthy way of eating. I do, you know, there are a variety of resources about how to eat for menopause. I don't know. I don't, I don't have any detailed knowledge of that. I'm just going to say I eat the way I eat. And so I've never really delved into that. Uh, But for me, um, the reduction or the elimination of grain and sugar has been helpful to me in a variety of areas of my life. Um, It's helped me to manage my Crohn's disease with hardly any flares at all. Um, And it did help me to, you know, I guess not gain any more. You know, my body didn't gain any more than about 10 pounds during that time. And, um, you know, that 10 pounds came off and, you know, it's, I, I don't know what my weight is, but, um, I would say probably the Delta between my current, the, my current, if I ballpark my current, um, body weight. And I think about the top weight that I was during that time that I was carrying some menopause weight, which of course is seared into my brain. Um, because it was creeping up on, a on, on one of those sort of 10 pound, uh, transitions that I thought, Oh my God, if I cross that, and of course this is a a very unhelpful narrative, but I would say to myself, Oh my God, if I cross that, that's just going to be the end of the world. How am I ever going to come back from that? (laughs) Please don't do that to yourself. Please don't do that to yourself. It's not helpful. It just, oh, it brings anxiety and it focuses on your appearance, on assigning your value to your appearance during a time that you don't really have a lot of control over your shifting hormones and, and that kind of thing. So please do be kind to yourself. But the Delta, I would guess, is around 27 pounds, I would say. I'm guessing, um, maybe 25 or so pounds that mm, what I, what my body probably weighs, um, right now is roughly 25 pounds less than what it weighed when I was, um, when I had that extra, um, additional 10 pounds. And, you know, I had a food sponsor at that time as part of my program. And she clearly said to me, uh, she was, you know, she was older than me. She clearly said to me, yes, Um, and she was on the same food program and she said, yes, I carried around 10 extra pounds during that time. So I did have somebody who, you know, was kind of trying to convey to me that that was normal, but I would not accept it. I would not accept it and not accepting something doesn't make it go away. It just makes it more difficult. Um, it makes, it makes for, um, it crowds, you know, this lack of acceptance, crowds out compassion and unconditional self-acceptance and love, it crowds it out and it makes it feel like you always need to be fixed. And so, you know, my suggestion there, of course, is to love and accept yourself, to not assign your value to the size or shape of your body, to not tether yourself with what it used to look like or what it used to weigh because it may not look like or weigh that regardless um, of what happens with your, your menopause journey. When you come out the other side, there's no real way of knowing um, how things are going to settle. And so um, try not to hang on to an unrealistic expectation that you can make it look a certain way by doing certain things. Do eat for you. Do eat in a way that satiates you and that doesn't activate craving and that doesn't compel you to overeat. um, Because that also um, can be kind of a form of anesthesia that then makes you feel worse about yourself and can also impact your weight. Um, Do hydrate yourself, do your body, do move your body in a way that you enjoy and that feels good for you. Um, And so if you're new to exercise later in life, try things until you find something that you enjoy. If you're not enjoying what you used to do, try something new. If you used to do something that you liked, try doing that again, Um, because that really can do um, wonders, can work wonders on a variety of the symptoms that I've talked about today. And it's really good for your body, but don't, don't tie it to your weight don't tie it to a result tie it to um, being kind to yourself and good to yourself and just helping yourself to feel better during this time which doesn't feel very special I know I know it doesn't feel special I know it feels annoying and upsetting but uh, you know being on the other end of it it really was quite special to work through all of it and come out on the other other side and just be free of a lot of those hormonal shifts. And, you know, I haven't had a period and gosh, two, since 2011 ish. Um, so that's pretty awesome. And, you know, as I've talked about on this show and the previous two, I've just done a tremendous number of things to um, care for myself in the areas that were And are important to me and, um, do connect, connect with each other, um, connect with, with me, connect with a coach and tell your partner what is going on with you. If you are feeling unhappy or upset or fearful, I was just scared. I was scared about what was happening to my body and the appearance of my body And I remember sobbing about it to my partner and he said, what have I ever done or said that would make you think that I would feel that way about you? And I'm like, nothing, not, you haven't done anything. It's me. It's me. But it was important for me to say that, um, and to get it out and to get it out of the way. Um, and then to just, Continue to accept and love myself. I, w- I did not love myself back then. If you can love yourself now, if you can start now and practice now while you're in menopause, it will, um, it will pay you back many times over. So, um, all right, hit me up. Um, if you want to chat or you want some support, you can find me at draft tango, octopus.com across social media at GTO coaching, um, on TikTok at coach Kirsten. And, um, my direct email is coach KJ at giraffe tango, octopus.com. Um, I do have a couple of fun guests. I'm still working out the scheduling, um, coming up. So stay tuned for that. And, uh, yeah, love yourself free yourself, be yourself, and dance your own tango.
0: Thanks for listening to today's episode. We hope we have helped you learn to love yourself unconditionally and accept and celebrate everything that makes you, you. Tune in next Wednesday for another episode. And in the meantime, dance your own tango.